You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and outs of the solar industry and what it means for consumers. With Renew Economy's editor, Giles Parkinson, and leading solar industry veteran, Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Solar Analytics, suppliers of intelligent solar monitoring, and SunWiz, the creators of the powerful PV cell software. Hi, and welcome back to Solar Insiders. My name is not Charles Parkinson. My name is Nigel Morris. And this week, I'm actually standing in for the big man as your host. He can't be there, unfortunately. Can't be here, I should say. Um, um, I, and I, frankly, I can't tell you how long I've waited to get the hold of this wheel of the good ship Solar Insiders. I may never let go. So um, please bear with us without um, the dulcet tones of Mr. Parkinson. But I have a new co-host, a special co-host joining me this week to fill in. Um, Welcome, Sophie Varath. Hello, Nigel. It's great to be here. It's fantastic to be here with you as well. For those of you who don't know um, Sophie, you certainly readers of Renew Economy would recognise her name. But Sophie, who the hell are you? Where do you come (laughs) from? What do you do? And, um, yeah, tell us a bit about uh, who you are. Such big questions. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I am the deputy editor at Renew Economy and I kind of um, make a fist of running things at one step off the grid as well. So, and I've been working with Giles for over 10 years now they're like they're um, like dog years i hear right i, know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I count it by the yes um after my son was born so there you go there and, you go and it certainly does feel like dog years so you're 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 the person out there actually doing a lot of research and making a lot of the calls and actually you know um digging around for all these stories am i right yes yes that that, that can be some of the things that i do mm. and um, it's been a fabulous ride, actually, and and you know, as you would know, never a dull moment. Not a, not a single one. Well, it's wonderful to have you here and to get to have a chat with you too. And I I can't encourage um, listeners enough to make themselves known um, to Sophie when when she's out and about. I've bumped into you once or twice at various different events, and great opportunity to meet um, some of the other fantastic people at Renew Economy. There's a there's a team there. Um, there is a team. There is a team. So great. To have you here um so let's jump straight in then um so f- um why don't we start with solar vic um because you know as usual that's kind of dominating the headlines within the solar industry at least um for those of you who have been under a rock uh the rebate scheme moved to its new phase this week and um uh, for the first time since the revisions to the scheme is now in two tranches, one at the beginning of the month, one halfway through the month. Uh, the total number of rebates uh, leapt from around 3,300 to around 9,500, 9,750 this yeah. month. Um, and uh, the first tranche went in about 40 minutes, if I recall correctly, on the first of the month. And then um, I saw you guys published a story. How fast did this second tranche go, Soph? Under 20 minutes. So a lot of people sort of said 15 minutes, but I, and it's difficult. It probably depends on how good your internet is. <laughs> but uh, I, at, by my reckoning, it was just under 20 minutes, which is still pretty pretty quick. And it just shows that uh, 
that supply-demand balance they're trying to achieve um, is not quite there yet. Still not quite there, not quite there. I did pop a note to uh, Solar Victoria to try and get a little bit of clarity because I did notice they'd published, some really, they'd published a really interesting note or, or a little blog post on their website, actually, about audits that they'd done um, where they had been facing questions about, you know, the spread and who was getting rebates and who wasn't getting rebates and all that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, some of the some of the spread was kind of interesting. Um, I'm just skimming, and I don't have the How data. So? Well, um, what it showed, for example, and I forget the exact percentages, but they said, you know, of the 150 solar retailers, um, the top 150 retailers. Um, 32% of the rebates went to the top 20, for example. Wow. And then from installer number t- position number 21 to 130, there was another percentage. And then below that, there was another percentage. And I, I to be honest, I, I pinged a note to Solar Victorious. I'm not going to talk about the stats at this point. What they were trying to highlight is, in their view, it seems fairly well spread. And there is no one dominating. What I do remember is that off the top 20, if you took the percentage, divided it by the number of rebates, you ended up with about 100 per solar company in the top 20, right. which is interesting. Um, hmm. and, and so it's that spread that everyone's really, really interested in. So um, because there – and the other question I asked Solar Victoria actually was, okay, you've talked about the top 150. You also mentioned there are 650 resell or installers registered in the portal does that mean that about 400 of them might get nothing um that's kind of what the industry is saying and i'm aware that at least one bankruptcy happened last week directly as a result of that particular business not being able to get access to rebates so still judging by the comments on facebook and on twitter you know when they announced that it had been filled in 15 minutes there are still people missing out who have missed out the whole way along who are getting pretty frustrated um you know i think it does seem that you know the the more organized groups with the more staff and um you know who've really briefed their their customers um seem to go quite well Mm. um which is not to say that some companies aren't doing their homework or anything i think there's still also quite a few tech glitches from what I can gather, yeah, um, a lot of people saying that. Um, well, they didn't get it know, out that, on time, did they? Well, that was in no, the first they didn't. one. They the, had that horrible yeah, first yeah, day where yeah. everything went tits up, mm. um, and that was that put them off, you know, out of action for three days. Um, but you know, when you think about it, uh, the number of people that would have been trying to get their hands on those six thousand five hundred. Um, rebates would have been huge and yeah. I doubt their system you know had had experienced anything like it but um they about did get four, it back uh, up and running they did and it, uh, some rough numbers it's like four rebates processed per second per oh second so you know extraordinary I mean I think the real message it's in quite this, remarkable really it is remarkable it is absolutely remarkable and it shows exactly as you said how much pent-up demand is still there so I know next month they they reduce it uh, down to about six thousand if I remember correctly so they're kind of bringing it back another notch again yeah so they're, they're, they're you know good on Solovic and the Victorian Premier's Department for adjusting the scheme and responding um, there's still a lot of pain in the industry so there's still a bit of work to be done but 
but um, um, let's see where we get to and hopefully Solar Vic might uh, come back to us uh, with some feedback and so we can talk about those stats next week. Yeah, absolutely. And so, what else? What's what else is big news um, on renew economy this week? Um, so, uh, what what's the story that really stood out for you? Well, I mean, there's plenty of big stories that are you know sort of more policy related and um, might make people start to yawn. But the story that I really liked um, so far this week is that um, Victoria Bid has come out and said they're they're launching this big new ad campaign. Um, about how their beer is brewed with solar um, power because, of course, CUB um, announced a while ago that it was going 100% renewable and it's done that with um, a major solar farm um, in Victoria yep. and also by putting solar on its, uh, on its brewery Some and, of its and breweries, other yeah. places. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but, you know, we, we sort of all knew they were doing that and... Um, their parent company was doing the same, although I think they're now owned by Asahi. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they've obviously decided this is a great selling point. And not only that, they've decided that it, it's a great selling point that they want to roll out during the AFL Grand Final. Which um, <laughs> Nice timing, right? Nice timing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And look, they obviously think that A, a lot of people st- still drink VB, and uh, <laughs> where, B, where are, a lot of people are you? <laughs> <laughs> will be loving the fact that it's brewed by solar and and they've they've done a take on you know a solar take on that you know they've the classic bb ad yeah yeah, where the solar farm workers are out there working in the sun and um i think there's even a woman there working which is good yeah and uh yeah and of course not they're not the first brewer to do solar either i've actually visited absolutely not there's a heap of them and i think probably the the um, smaller independent brewers have really led the way. They on, have on solar. I've visited a couple of them actually, and uh, and 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 they really are leading, especially the independents. Uh, you, you're quite right, but I mean, what this shows is a um, not only do the little guys do it because you know maybe they're motivated slightly differently, but you now got v- you know one of the largest brewing and beer companies in the world who has decided that this makes good economic sense. They're not going to do it if it doesn't make good economic sense. Exactly. Secondly, there's a great story there that they want to tell yeah. um, to their punters so they, they well, I think it'll help sell their beer uh, so that's clearly, amazing clearly you know, not only is it going to save them heaps of money um, on production and and you know that as you say they wouldn't do this if it wasn't an economic no-brainer but they think it's going to help sell their beer so I think that's a huge endorsement for solar um, you know damn straight Damn straight. Yes. All right, that's good. That's a bit beer. That's a big news story on Renew Economy. Makes perfect sense <laughs> to me. All right, let's um, let's jump through into some solar tech news and announcements because there's some been some interesting things going on. Um, just a couple of real quick ones. Uh, firstly, Smart Energy Council had a really cool event in Brisbane last week. Um, I bumped into about 150, 200 odd people at that event. Um, had a little speaking slot and and bounced around. And had a lovely time. Um, actually props to the smart energy council i didn't know what to expect with this event but it was a terrific little show it had two halls one with policy and one with sort of installer issues both being presented at the same time and a sort of little booth and and sort of display area in the in in the middle um 
And uh, I must say, the quality of the event was really good. The quality of the conversations and the networking was fantastic because it wasn't so big, right? Yeah. Being a little bit smaller, it actually, I was a bit nervous, but it was actually really, really good value. So huge props to them. Um, the most interesting presentation I saw actually was from uh, a guy whose name evades me at the moment, but he was uh, a senior guy with the Electrical Trades Union in Queensland and told his story, some really quite revealing stories about why they had pushed so hard for the um, large-scale solar farm rule change. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He he kind of looked a bit nervous when he got up on the podium. I must admit. And <laughs> I don't you, no. And everyone was kind of going, "Oh, okay, this will be interesting." Um, but he he made some really valid points, and you know, um, uh, going by everything he said, you know, the, in a nutshell, what he said is, "Look, we're really genuinely very very concerned about the prolific use of backpackers, and about." Um, he said, "I have personally been to sites and." met installers who have said there has not been a contractor on site so there's clearly some cleaning up that needs to happen in some of that large-scale space and good on them for pushing that unfortunately you know um the the way that it panned out was they kind of took a sledgehammer to the problem which didn't work out so well classic approach Mm, and that didn't work out so well but um yeah so that was that was really interesting to hear another perspective and i think we always have to keep our eyes and ears open to other perspectives and and um so that was cool Absolutely. Mm. And I think, um, you know, in the installer business as well on a smaller scale, the same is true. And, you know, this idea and, um, you know, that you need to, we do need to be open to criticism and to reform and change um, is really important. Um, It's something that happens to every industry and we can't be sort of, you know, just out of hand reject it but you know obviously i think what the industry was saying all along with that issue was um talk, talk to, to us. us talk to yeah. us yeah keep us in yeah. the loop That's it. and uh you know don't do things that are going to suddenly absolutely kill business no, and, and, I, and yeah. no, you're exactly right. And I think, you know, some of the better companies out there that are doing the right thing, we're really highlighting, hey, it doesn't, you, you, you're putting cost imposts on end users and on solar businesses for the bad behavior of a few, perhaps. Um, so, um, yeah, anyway, so that was, that was really interesting. <laughs> Uh, by complete by complete chance just for what it's worth we've we've um i I did my own personal little bit because a buddy of mine who's got irish heritage rang me um just yesterday actually and said oh nige uh got some got some friends uh back from uh, from from the home country who are staying with me a couple of young kids uh, their nephews and nieces of his i think um uh fully blown irish kids and they said look uh, they're, they're they're out in australia on a working holiday and you know backpacking around the place and they'd heard back in ireland that there was tons of work for Irish backpackers building solar farms. And so I figured you'd know where the solar farms are. How do we get them some work on solar farms? So uh, I have to hand it to the Irish Backpacker Network. They're certainly getting the news out that there are jobs, (laughs) potentially. But it kind of highlights the issue that this is being targeted at backpackers very squarely. Um, and um, new fruit picking. Mm, well, I, well, for what it's worth, I said, you know what? I think it's actually going to be more fun picking tomatoes than installing solar panels. It's not easy work, and I would not actually recommend you go and get in the middle of that stink Excellent. because it's a bit of a stink. So steer away from the solar farms was my advice. And where is the stink at this stage of the negotiations? I mean, after the 
you know, the appeal was uh, knocked back. They all, you know, allegedly went back to the negotiating table. Do you have any intel on where it's at now? I don't, actually. You've caught me on the hop there. And um, I, I have seen a couple, I know a couple of commercial businesses who said, that's it, we're out of Queensland. We just walked away until this sorts itself out. So I don't know where it's up to at the moment. By next, uh, by the next podcast, we'll have an update for everyone and we'll um, we'll look yeah, into I mean, where things are at. That, that'd be my job too. Mm. Yes. <laughs> To probably okay. look even into better. those things. Even better. Get, hop onto that, <laughs> um, But yes, I, I just, I just occurred to me, I haven't, I don't really know where it's at now. Yeah. So we will. We yeah. will find that out. Yeah. Um, I'm going to keep rolling um, because um, we're quickly eating up time. We've got a really nice interview to play um, uh, shortly. But before I do that, some good solar news. A um, couple of quick things. Firstly, uh, Warwick published, uh, Warwick Johnston from Sunwiz, who is one of our sponsors, in fact, PVCL and, one, and Sunwiz, along with Solar Analytics, who uh, we're very delighted to have as ongoing sponsors of the program. Thanks, uh, PVCL and uh, Warwick. Um, but Warwick, published some really fascinating data about PV prices and system prices, which caused a bit of a stir on, on, on Facebook, I must say. But the most interesting thing about it, there were two angles to this that were interesting. One is you saw the price range of solar panels that were offered as part of system pricing and it was clearly evident that some panels were um, fairly closely priced generally speaking and they usually appeared in the market at about this price point or about that price point and there were highs and lows but it was a fairly tight range and yet there were other panels that had enormous price ranges in fact one of them had one of the highest prices in its range and also one of the lowest prices in its range arguably for the same product from the same manufacturer now part of this might be explained by different models in the range so you might have a premium model and a you know more budget line product um part of it's also um kind of highlighting the fact that you know some manufacturers go after customers who might be willing to discount harder than others and so there were some really interesting lessons in that and i I had a bit of a chat to warwick about it but the sort of leads me to the second point and that is that what warwick's doing with a lot of his data now is trying to help solar businesses to make more intelligent business decisions by being able to position themselves in the market, by being able to benchmark themselves, see um, what other systems are being sold for, see what components are being used in those systems typically. So, you know, big data to the rescue there for solar businesses. Um, So give was a call if you want some help with that. That's really great. And actually, speaking of your interview, um, he does talk a bit about that kind of thing, which is really interesting. He does. He does. Yeah, just yeah. about how difficult it is. I mean, I've heard a lot um, since I've been reporting on this industry about tight margins and, and you know. Oh, yeah. Um, and how hard it is for people to sort of uh, turn a profit in this business and how because yep. it's been, always been very competitive, you know. Um, so that's really interesting what he has to say about that. So it, it is precision, is precision and efficiency. You know, where can I avoid wasting time yep. by not selling into that market because it doesn't make sense if I've got this type of offer and so on. So he's he's been at it for a long time. So it's it's great to see that that data being val- uh, um, uh, being shared and and there's of course more if you uh, if you give Was a call and uh, he can cut you a deal. 
On the same, to, on a related topic though, a free business tip for solar businesses. Now this comes out of some data exercises that I was doing in the last couple of days as well, where I was going through databases and I was looking up company details and you know, refining and tidying up some of our databases. And here's a free business tip for every solar business out there. When you, a lot of solar businesses these days don't actually have websites, which I find beguiling, but there are quite a few who were on my list this week who just simply did not have a website, but they did have a Facebook page or they might have a LinkedIn page, for example. And so when I was trying to get details of some of these companies, I'd dig around and dig around. And one thing I noticed that was very, very inconsistent, if you are a solar business and you don't have a web page, but you use Facebook, it's a really good idea to have your phone number on there to have your email address on there so customers to, can get in contact with you. I was trying to do that as a supplier and I could not get that information. And there were a number of solar companies that purely had a listing on a Facebook page but had no contact information. So sometimes these really simple things make a huge difference. Get an email address on there, use some of the sophisticated tools that Facebook has, if you've got a web page, have a link to the web page. If you've got a phone number, get your phone number on there. Make yourself accessible and you'll get more sales. Really simple. Absolutely. And it's not a great look because it, if it looks like you're trying to avoid, you know, communication, that's not a, not a great message. It's not. Sending. No, it's not. You know, make yourself contactable. So anyway, there's a couple of little business tips, but let's keep moving. Um, now, each episode for the last few episodes, I've run a little segment called Great Solar People I've Met This Week. But we did a little twist on it this week, largely because I bought a flash new microphone and a little recording setup, so I've been playing with it. And um, we've actually got, this is the first in a series of interviews that I've done that hopefully will roll out over the next few podcasts called Meet a Solar Business. I interviewed a number of Australian solar business owners and the idea was to find out what lessons they'd learned, how they were surviving the solar coaster and what they might be prepared to share with other solar business owners or indeed end users. And so um, this is our first interview in the series. Um, it's actually from a guy called Doug Fletch, Fletcher who's been in the industry for quite a while but he's kind of a... A little bit on the, he kind of plays it on the down low a bit. So he's not, you know, a lot of other solar companies may not know who he is. Um, but a really fascinating guy, cotton farmer turned solar and energy entrepreneur, would you believe? And uh, when you ask uh, questions, you always find out interesting answers. Let's hear what Doug had to say. Okay, welcome back to Meet a Solar Business. Uh, I'm here this time with Doug Fletcher from Solari Energy. He uh, assures me he's not an installer, he's the CEO, he's the, the head honcho. Um, Doug described his business to me as a commercial solar business that's all about helping businesses save energy. Um, thanks for joining us, Doug. Oh, hi, Nigel. Thanks for the opportunity. You're you're most welcome, mate. Um, I'm going to dive straight in, Doug. Um, you, know, you and I have bumped into each other for, for over the years, over quite a number of years. Um, what's your story? How did you end up where you are today with Solari Energy? You know, where did you come from? How did you get there? And, and what leads you to be sitting here today? Well, I guess the story starts back a lot of years ago when we were cotton growers originally. And... Oh. Uh, we had to leave the cotton industry because we lost crops uh, through fungus and simply couldn't be funded. So we went into some international agricultural work that led through into um, energy work, that led through into water and software work. And then we decided that um, yeah, there's not that many years left of working life. Um, so start one more business off 
uh, build it around energy, water, environment and food and uh, we decided to take the energy side first. So uh, I took up a um, GM role for a, uh, what was then one of the larger uh, dis- solar distributors in Australia back when there was money in distribution mm-hmm. and um, we started Solari off within that business uh, mainly to really justify the uh, reasons for having warehouses all around the countryside mm-hmm. and staff around the countryside um, and then uh, so my wife Dorothy and I, we, we purchased that out of that business in uh, 2013, stood it alone, and it's been operating a commercial solar ever since. Right on. There's always a, always a good story to tell. So fast forward to today. You're here at the conference, at the Smart Energy uh, uh, Council conference, but um, w- when, you, when you're back in the office uh, uh, tomorrow, uh, what's the number one opportunity that, that's on your plate right now that you've got to deal with? Well, number one opportunity is actually we've got some other large-scale solar projects at the moment that need to be worked up and um, be ready for installation uh, very early next year, in the first quarter of next year. But I think the real thing I'm looking for at this conference here is what is the next opportunity beyond where the solar industry is right at the moment. So we've taken the time in the last year or two to... um, look around the technology world and see if there is some new solar technologies. There is some around. They're not yet commercialised. They, there is an opportunity to commercialise some of those. But I think also, uh, uh, I think the standard solar approach that we have right now has probably only really, really got four or five years to run. And I think every company needs to be ready for the next step, whatever the next step is. It'll be different for every company, mm. but because we've always tended to gravitate towards and, and larger, towards the larger scale, and the larger scale has tended to gravitate towards us always from the start, mm. um, we're obviously keeping our, our eye into that market. We, we're not really looking at residential. We don't, we've never really worked on the residential side. We have sold a bit in there. If you look on our old website, which is well and truly overdue for an update. You'll still see residential on there, but that's coming off uh, before Christmas. And um, uh, I think there's, I think there's a lot of opportunity to do it right, where a lot of people think they're doing it right, but not necessarily doing it right for their customer. They're doing it right for maybe an installation of technology stream or what they see is the right thing. But I think customers are wanting a lot more than just a solar system built on onto their, yeah, on, onto onto their premises, whatever it might be. Yep. Uh, one of the things that we've taken a lot of time to do is to go really deep with our customers. So, uh, in fact, I was talking to one of the financier guys just in, in here just before, and he asked me, how much money do we um, pull out for financing for, for the projects we build? And I said, we haven't financed anything since 2014. And he just didn't believe me. But, you know, we found a niche where uh, the people that we work with have the financing in place they often will go overseas themselves seek investors to buy something um, our solar business is built in with that so that the money when they bring the money in we've got guaranteed uh, project with that and it's that's that's the results of going deep with people so you have to take time to get to know customers you have to take time to um delve down to deep to who they may be that all costs you money as well mm. but at the end of the day, that's a much better way than trying to race around to see where the next job's going to come from. You know, we, we, know where, we know where our next five jobs are coming from right now, and under the current size of the business, that's the next two and a half years' worth of work right now. Brilliant. So, so is, that, is that the secret to your company's success? Is that your secret sauce? Um, no, I think that's the results of... Uh, so I mean, what is your secret? What is the secret to your company's success? 
I think I think it's being there for people yep. uh, very much. I mean, I, like what I hear a lot in the industry is I need to make some more money, therefore I need another job, right? But people don't realise that money is actually the result of doing something else, right? If they're driven for money, uh, if, if, if you're driven to... If money's your driver, you're going to go broke. It's as simple as that, right? But if you are driven to try and help somebody else and things that you do allow that money to come through, so money is a result of doing something, then you'll always have a pipeline coming through of people that want to work with you and will recommend you on. You know? And it goes right back to how you think. So like how you think determines on how you feel, how you feel determines how you act, how you act determines on your results. Yep. So for me, if you want money as the, as the result, and we all need money as a result, but it goes right back to how you think. So if you're not getting the money you want, go back to your thoughts. Yeah. You know, change the way you think. That will change the way you feel, that will change the way you act, and that will change the amount of money in the bank. Brilliant. Oh, great philosophy. That's good tips, Doug. I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed. Uh, so tell me, a um, few broader questions now. So is there a person or a company that you aspire to be like? Is there someone out there who really, you know, you go, wow, that, that person or company is doing something I'd, I'd, uh, I'd like to emulate that? No, because I want to be, I want to be that person or company that other people aspire to, oh, right? So yes, we do, we do take note of a number of people and look at what they do and we do study their business, we study their business models, uh, we study their results, we look at what their ethics are, their, you know, what their values are yep. um, and uh, you know, all the usual core values that need to be there uh, have to be within the business. Yep. But I think we should be the people, the company that other people look up to and try to take that lead. Mm. Uh, we've believed in that always in, in our 48 years of, of business career now. Mm-hmm. And in, at times we have reached that pinnacle in different parts of our, of our career. Other times we haven't quite got to that point. Mm. But no, I think we should be that company. Yeah, great answer. Uh, what's, the, uh, what's the best investment, investment decision you ever made for your business? <laughs> Getting married. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's correct answer. Well done. Um, what lesson took you the longest to learn? Oh, I think uh, learning how to work with people, because my natural nature is to be fairly dominant, and I had to learn to calm that down. Um, the natural nature still comes out if you push me too far; it'll come back out. The world will get turned upside down, given a good shake. I don't really care what falls out, but I try to uh, stop that from coming coming through too often, and. Um, but learning to channel that energy into areas where it means something for the person you're working with, some, the person you're trying to help, uh, that's a really good lesson to learn. So just be there for the people. Brilliant, brilliant. What's, um, what's the biggest mistake you've made in, big, in business? Uh, probably... Um, you can't say your wife again. Well, no, I can't say my <laughs> wife. But we we did invest we did invest in a in, in a very large scale cotton farm back in the very early stages. We were still in our twenties. Uh, it was undercapitalized, overcommitted to Billio. A bunch with a whole bunch of other people who were doing it. Some we made it, but we got hit with a pythium fungus, and that took us out of business uh, very early in the piece. And it took us seven years to uh, to overcome that particular shock. Uh, to our business but the learning of that was don't be afraid to take the risk uh, because if you don't take the risk you're not going to get there anyway mm. but try and minimise that risk by looking at ways that you're going to uh, you know if something goes wrong totally unexpected yeah. ha- how are you going to survive around that and that lesson was really good when the um, the federal government took the attack on the renewables back in 2014 mm-hmm. um, we pulled our business right back very rapidly. Uh, we put everybody off. We actually helped our staff get jobs. Um, we pulled everybody 
we went right back to our core business with just a couple of people. We redeveloped um, the solar business totally in a different direction. Um, we stayed under the radar for three or four years just deliberately so that we weren't being distracted from what we were doing. Uh, we started our water business at the same time. We're now combining our water and solar business together so we actually have more more ways to market. If you've got a single route to, if you're a single route to market is a single income source, you've got a problem. Mm. You, know, you can't, you cannot make that th- that these days. You've got to have multiple income streams within your business, because you cannot control something that's contextual, totally outside your 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 sphere of influence. Yep. But it can, it's the contextual stuff that will cause you a problem. Mm. Great advice. Um, what what was one thing when you when you got into uh, into solar? What was one thing that you thought was true that turned out not to be true? I thought it was a well-organised, highly run, profitable business. And what I found was most people in the business were just swapping time for money. Mm-hmm. They weren't bothering to take the time to uh, uh, put proper financial matrix matrices around what they were doing or most of them didn't have business plans. They didn't have a long-term uh, business plan. Basically, none that I've met have a strategic plan. Um, some, some even these days don't understand what the even is. And even if I look through the installer network these days, I still see the same problems. Uh, it's, it is not driven towards uh, a proper financial return. It's driven towards how cheap can I make this uh, and build this. And um, if you bother to take, take notice of the data, have a look at the credit insurer's data and talk to your banks and talk to your management accountants, not your tax accountants, your management accountants, they will tell you in Australia if you're not making a 30% or better markup on your projects overall, um, you're not going to be there five years from now. And that's a very key lesson that I think this industry has not yet learnt because it's really hard to get 30% markup in a solar business, right? Most people are way below that. We're actually achieving 30% and above markup in the way that we've gone back to market, um, and we've done you know we've done that deliberately. We've we've twisted our the way we approach our market and our customer base deliberately to get away from this really low margin. But and also people don't understand uh, the difference between markup and margin. Yeah. Someone goes and puts 20% on top and thinks that's their margin. No, it isn't. That's 16% your margin. Yep. All right. Now you've got 16%. You think that's your margin. You're back at about 12. Right. They are not sustainable margins, so you've, the industry hasn't yet learnt that, even after all these years. Yep. yep. Uh, fantastic. Well, last question, because uh, I'm about to run out of battery. Uh, where do you think your business will be in five years' time? Oh, I think five years' time we'll be in a different position to where we are now. Our water business will definitely be moving forward. It's um, it's off overseas with the Australian government later this year, uh, and we're taking our solar side with that. We've done a lot of solar overseas with the Asian Development Bank and some other proponents in the developing countries, so we have a good footprint in there as well. And I think our business will be integrated um, in, in the larger commercial areas with new technologies five years from now. Doug, thanks so much for sharing part of your story with us. Hi, you're welcome, Nigel. Anytime. There you have it. That was Doug Fletcher from Solari um, revealing some of the insights, some of which were fascinating to me. Uh, so if I don't know whether you've had a chance to have a listen to the interview or what you thought, what popped out for you? I just thought um, I really liked what he said about um, listening to customers um, and, you know, constantly reviewing your own benchmarks and your own... Um, you know, goals, I guess. And, mm. you know, to me, that's a really important, you know, as I said before, this industry can be a bit of, 
not, I wouldn't say rest on its laurels or anything, but, you know, it's a very dynamic industry and at the moment it's, you know, extremely popular. But, um, you know, he takes this approach of really trying to find his groove and his business's groove and mm. and do a really good job. And I think that um, there could be a lot more of that. Mm. He talked about having a shift his focus on the business too and having to move fast which is a story that i hear over and over and over again and in fact talking to a number of victorian businesses um that conversation is happening all the time where you're seeing some businesses go bust and you're seeing others sadly having to make cuts Uh, and no business wants to make cuts but if you can save your business and ride through a tough period or shift your focus then that's how you can survive so some great lessons i think there from doug that everyone can uh, hopefully pick up something uh something from yes absolutely Good. Um, crap solar. Let's jump into crap solar. Um, there's always something in crap solar. Uh, first one's a really simple story. The, uh, the team out at Penrith Solar, great uh, young business out in Western Sydney, um, did a really interesting long blog story, which they published on socials this week about a customer who'd bought a system only a couple of years ago, had some problems, asked the guys at Penrith Solar to come out and have a look. The company had supplied it had gone bust. It was the usual story. And and this system had so many things wrong. It was like about a two and a half thousand word essay. Oh, um, yeah, it was quite profound. A lot of it was actually damage caused during the install. Um, you know, they they'd dragged the solar panel across the edge of some of the rail and torn the back sheet, and so of course there was corrosion. Yeah. Uh, one of the panels was so badly uh, either faulty or damaged that it had in fact showed signs of burning already. So it was a, an extraordinarily uh, extraordinarily high fire risk. Um, and um, you know, I think the Penrith Solar guys did a really nice job of. It's a negative news story. You don't really want to lead with a negative news story, but of course, what they were doing was highlighting what can go wrong, how to protect yourself from it, and uh, then a little bit of spin on the end because they're a company trying to make business. But really interesting story. It is an interesting um, story, and I and just um, you know, on that note, I, I have seen some people talk about that in 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 the Victorian market in particular. Um, you know, in mm-hmm. some of the conversations that I've sort of eavesdropped on in social media. Um, how there is a sort of a whole market out there and probably not an enormous one, but just of of doing those kind of jobs, of going to customers who've had in-stores before who, who no longer have a company they can turn to um, and, and basically restoring their faith in the industry and, and yep. giving them what they signed up for in the first place, which, as you say, it's not the ideal way to go around it, but... Um, you know, it does. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes we need to be bitten twice, yeah, right, before we kind of pick up. You know, it's great that there's companies out there that will go out and do this and, and, and re-establish a, a relationship with the customer and, um, you know, that will build more business undoubtedly. It will. And, it, and it's a wonderful thing to see businesses doing that and actually saving the reputation of the industry too by getting people's systems either back up and running or saying, look, we need to actually remove this. But, you know, in this case, I think they got some insurance money. Um, so, you know, there are ways to solve these problems. So if you if you do know someone who has had a bad experience with solar or has a system that they're unsure of or are concerned about safety, there are companies and lots of the solar companies out there, in fact, will happily come and give you uh, an assessment of its condition um, um, can, can do monitoring on it, can do all sorts of things to work out whether it's working well or not. 
Now, um, speaking of shocking stuff uh, and trying to keep quality up, uh, two more panel delistings this week, which is um, always interesting. Um, the Clean Energy Council runs uh, a product, uh, a, what's it called? I should know I'm on it. There's the Product Approval uh, Committee. And uh, the committee um, and the, the, the team, there's a large team behind the committee. The committee only meets every now and again and discusses more difficult cases. Um, but the committee behind the team, the, the, the staff behind the team spend a whole lot of time uh, actually doing checks. So they, they um, mystery shop to get hold of products to confirm that it is what it said it was on the box. And uh, they also check it against the standards that they had met during the construction process. And there have been a couple of cases where um, uh, where products have not met uh, the standards that they had said that they had met and uh, have been delisted. So GSPV Holdings Group, um, their solar modules were delisted on the 16th of September due to non-conformances identified in the latest round of CEC testing. So that's some kind of difference between what they said the panel was or how it was made or something and what it actually turned up in the market as. So okay. um, we've seen delistings for this before. Um, that's, you know, trying typically, and I'm not accusing GSPV Holdings of anything because I don't know the details, but typically what happens is you get a product approved using the highest quality materials. Then when you go into production and start shipping volume, you substitute okay. those materials with lower quality materials. Um, so anyway, you cannot, you can no longer install um, GSPV Holdings Group uh, panels. Uh, Ameri Solar panels uh, are also known as Worldwide Energy and Manufacturing Nantong or Ameri Solar uh, were delisted on also delisted on the sixth of September due to nonconformers identified in the latest round of CEC testing. So uh, another example now, Ameri Solar. And worldwide energy and manufacturing um, have actually been on our on the radar for some time. They were a popular brand with some of the very very budget end of the market. Uh, so I don't think there's going to be too many tears shed apart from maybe the Ameri Solar Panel Factory, but I think most of the rest of the industry would be pretty happy to see these guys out of the market. Right. And when you say they can't be installed. Mm. Does that mean that when they, you know, if they were installed after that date, when you go mm -hmm. to validate them and get your um, the S STCs or um, LGCs, that would not mm -hmm. work. You would not correct. Get them. So you would not get the rebate. Yep. Um, so if the problem uh, that uh, indeed installers or end users face is that with these panels being delisted, they're no longer eligible for STCs or LGCs. Um, so you know. Uh, for those installers out there, make sure that uh, your wholesalers are being straight up with you about the uh, approval status of various panels. In fact, that's what the serial number validation working group was all about, um, which has come up in the news just this week as well because they're getting ready to launch some new stuff. So, yeah, be very, very careful that um, you're not using old stock that is no longer approved for use. They've got an app now, is that right? There is an app, yeah. The Solar Panel Validation Group is testing that app. Um, there's been, it's been a long 
uh, arduous process to get it out into the market. But that app is, I think, starting to roll out now. Yeah, yeah, and that That's enables, great. yeah, it enables end users and installers to actually validate the serial numbers of solar panels to make sure that they're not um, uh, uh, fake or grey imports or delisted. There's a whole variety of things, so it, it connects a whole so bunch of great databases. You would. You would. In fact, the idea is that they use them when they're receiving them into their warehouse so they can actually reject a, a delivery if they're non-compliant. So, you know, it's a great case. These, these two examples of delisted panels are a great case for the use of the uh, serial number validation app. Good. Okay, so we're nearly there. Um, last one, um, um, EV and battery news, uh, for what it's worth. Uh, so if this is actually all about electric motorbikes. It's I have about heard EVs that. and batteries because <laughs> they're much more interesting. Um, for those listeners um, uh, who are motorcyclists, and I know there's a lot of you out there, um, Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman are well known to most uh, motorcycle heads because they've run they've had two series on um on uh, tv now long way down um uh, long way round where these guys went on the most incredible two-wheeled adventures um on motorcycles um ewan mcgregor and charlie borman are at it again but this time they're going the long way up but the really interesting thing apart it about it is they're actually using electric vehicles on this trip um Ooh. yeah so um the bikes they're using are harley davidson live wires which has been an enormous amount of press about um they're starting i think they're starting to ship now i haven't seen much i was noise. gonna say they're brand new aren't they they're brand new they're literally just on the verge of shipping i think um i haven't actually seen anything on any of the electric motorcycle blogs that i'm on um about people actually um uh, buying them or owning them yet so i haven't seen any evidence of end users popping up yet but charlie and ewan have got one they've got some good contact they've got two they've got good good contacts and they're going to ride them get this from south america to north america almost ten thousand oh kilometers yeah from um Ushuaia. Ushuaia. Ushuaia, which is uh, in the tierra del fuego in south america um yeah. They were actually spotted, believe it or not, by paparazzi um, who who um, uh, chase vehicle manufacturers of all things. So they were, they were car paparazzi. Um, they picked up on this because they saw two Rivians being delivered in uh, Tierra del, del Fuego. Oh, that's and, right. I think Bridie wrote about this on the Driven. Yeah, yeah. So the Rivians are a story in themselves because they're an amazing four-wheel drive that's been um, or all-wheel drive sort of truck that's been released in the US and is looking very very exciting and that's kind of they're getting ready to deliver as well so they've got two rivians which is the support vehicles um two harley live wires and then there's a couple of other support trucks and trailers and other bits and pieces they'll spend oh, fantastic yeah they'll spend probably three to four months at least doing this adventure going by their previous adventures it'll be really interesting because i know that the rivian potentially is capable of recharging the harleys so oh, they wow. may be able to dump energy from the rivians into the harleys um uh, when they need to and then of course they're going to be looking both in the developing world and in the modern world for charge points because the harley's a good looking bike but it doesn't have touring range like they used to so you know it's going to be fascinating yeah. probably six months or more before we see the the tv show but um can't wait for have, that one have they talked much about why they made this decision to go electric i mean is it just a sort of now for something completely different 
Uh, that's a really good question. I know both of them, and particularly Ewan, is really, really passionate about uh, climate change issues and about renewables. Yeah. Um, so he is really, really on board with that, and I know Charlie is as well. And, and you know, having seen some of their exploits previously, they're really interested in trying new things. They're try- interested in they're, – they're constantly – sh- the series has constantly been about pushing boundaries predominantly on two wheels. So what the hell, let's make it really difficult for ourselves and make them electric and travel 10,000 k. So, not the fir- not the first people to travel long distance on electric motorcycles. I might add, there've been some already some groundbreaking stuff. But um, yeah, this will be really fascinating to see. It will. I might even watch it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you should. You should if you get a story out of it. So, um, uh, last and very lastly, Moto E uh, continues. Our latest round was one last week. I'm not going to go into lots of detail um, around the stats and everything because I haven't finished them yet. Suffice to say, the most interesting thing is great reviews um, about the quality of the racing and about the bikes. The bikes are um, are continuing to perform really well and set quite respectable speeds. The riders are really enjoying them, are learning how to tune them in. Um, there has not been a single um, rider who has really dominated, which is great for a class because what we're seeing is different riders win at different circuits. They're all on bikes that are almost identical um, but the teams are starting to eke a little bit of extra performance here and there um, English rider Bradley Smith um, looking through all the stats of the races is the one guy who seems to be right up there he's sort of almost top three in every one of the races so far I think so his team is doing incredibly well and in other news big shout out to Josh Hook an Australian kid 22 year old kid from Gosh, Inverell, if I recall correctly, or somewhere up that neck of the woods, um, who is riding one of these bikes in Moto E? I had no idea. There was an Australian, young, up-and-coming Australian rider. Um, I've been trying to get an interview with Josh. Josh, if you're listening, please get back in touch. I really want to get you on this show and do a detailed interview with you. Uh, for this and the driven and and learn more about it your experiences um, well done in the last round I saw you finished in a, in a in a better place than the previous one and all power to you mate hope the Aussies come home um, in Moto E so um, uh, unless you've got anything else um, uh, so if you got anything else you want to throw no, me? no I have not no, I think no. uh, yeah. certainly not in the uh, electric bike department <laughs> but well, no listen, I have not thank you so much for filling in um, for me uh, while um, I cover for Giles it's been great to have you on and, and hopefully we can get you on again because you know stuff um, and that's always valuable I uh, want to also again uh, quickly shout out to Warwick Johnston and the guys and girls down at PV Cell to do a wonderful job great examples of data this week uh, solar analytics the other sponsor of this segment uh, who can provide you with fantastic world-class monitoring don't forget to leave us a review on itunes if at all you can makes a big difference thanks so much for tuning in and talk to you soon bye solar insiders was brought to you by sunwiz the creators of pv cell software Powerful technology for solar sales and design with free high-definition rooftop imagery in every PV cell plan. Retailers can stay ahead of the competition. Visit sunwiz.com.au, Australia's leading solar software. Solar Insiders is also brought to you by Solar Analytics, designers and suppliers of smart solar monitoring. Visit solaranalytics.com.au, get empowered and make the most of your home energy.